0: Last week, Pastor Keith shared some really exciting things with our church family about our upcoming building project, and I just kind of want to give you an update. I know some of you may have missed it. We kicked off the service with that, and I just want to keep that excitement going for it because we're so pumped about this. It's going to help so many things in our church. We have had some delays with getting the project going uh, for various reasons, but we actually now have a start date With our contractor, we are going to start construction according to our contractor Tuesday, April 14th, which is going to be the day after our last Easter service. So, just to be really clear and transparent with all of you, our church family, we told you that we were going to do this project without being without taking on any debt, but because of some unexpected expenses that were factored into redoing our gutter system. Our drainage, our sidewalks. The project actually increased $90,000 more than what we were originally quoted. Now, Word of Grace, I want to be very clear. Word of Grace has the cash on hand to pay for this entire project. We're in a very good financial position, and that's due to your generosity and wise stewardship of our church leadership. But we're going to take out a short loan of $90,000 in addition to what we were intending on paying from the cash because we don't want to deplete our cash position. And we're very confident we can pay off this loan very quickly. So it's not a large loan in light of what we are going to be able to pay and how quickly we're going to be able to pay it off. So the increase in the project, just so you're aware, is going to help us to get rid of any future problems that we have um, from ice buildup on the exterior of our building. Have you ever come to Word of Grace during the winter? And you've seen like these monstrous icicles and you have to pull your kids away from going, "Uh," you know, (laughs) or your wife's husbands have to pull you away from going to the icicle. (laughs) Or maybe you've noticed our skating rink that develops every year um, over in the northeastern part of the parking lot and you avoid that at all costs. Well, guess what? That ice skating rink develops every year over by where our handicap parking is that's not okay now in order for us to be able to fix this we're going to have to tie into the 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 city drains and so that means no more water running off the building but that gutter system is going to be really expensive to make that happen and we're going to have to tie it into the city drains so that's going to be a little bit more expensive than what we were originally quoted and then also this was the part we really didn't know about was it that's going to require us to bust up our Um, sidewalks. Because have you noticed, those of you who come to the building, the sidewalks, some are higher than the other. Maybe you've tripped over them. Well, guess what? Some of our friends that come to church here that are in wheelchairs or that use walkers really have a hard time with that. And um, so maybe you could pay attention to that if if you're you're able to walk around that. But some people haven't, and uh, it's just another hazard. And uh, also the uh, sidewalks are kind of pulling away from the building, if you'll notice that as well. Guess what? All of these increases that we factored in, it's going to fix all of that stuff. So that's kind of where all that came from. If you're wondering, you know, I just just want to make sure that we're being really clear, that we're being really transparent with this and kind of why we're doing it this way. Again, we have the cash on hand to pay for it, but we didn't want to deplete our funds to get down that low. We just said, let's take out a short loan in addition to what we're going to pay on that. Now, if you are in the position where God's put it on your heart where you want to give towards that, You can, but we're not asking the church to do anything special. We're not going to take up a special offering. We're not asking you to do anything above what you normally do in giving. But if God's put it on your heart just to help us pay that off extra quick, then that's fine too. We still want to give you that opportunity, but we're not going to make a big regular ask for it. But I do want to let you know how to do that if you want to give towards this project. If you want to designate something above and beyond what you normally give at Word of Grace to this project, do so by indicating on your check or in an offering envelope, or there's actually a thing you can select online that's W-O-G forward, WOG forward. That's the bucket that we're using to pay for this project. That's our name for our building fund, okay? So if you want to be a part of that, you certainly can, Um, and I just want to let you know that that's what's going to happen. This building's going to be awesome. It's going to be so great. It's going to put us in a position for the next project that we'll be embarking on. And I hope that we'll be embarking on the next project somewhere in the next couple of years. Um, We still have a lot of planning and a lot of facts and figures to get straight before we start breaking ground on the next project. Which is going to be expanding our parking lot. How many of you guys are gonna be excited about not having to walk as far um, to park? So uh, remember, this building was a grocery store, and we converted it to a church building in 2003, and literally nothing has been done to the exterior um, or the parking lot really since then. So the parking lot was meant for grocery store customers, not for a church that worships 650 people every weekend. Um, So it's really great what God's done here. We want to steward it well. We're grateful for the blessing of our building, and we thank God for that. Um, But we're trying to be wise stewards. And when we start uh, having parking lot conversations, I'll let you guys know what's going on with that too. We just want to keep full transparency and communication clear, so you understand what's going on at Word of Grace. And this is exciting stuff because April fourteenth, you guys, woohoo! April fourteenth, it's just around the corner. And they said it's just going to take a week, so we're looking—we're looking about six to eight weeks. For This project is what uh, kind of the goal is. We just didn't want to have, you know, really attractive things out there during our five services for Easter like porta potties and, you know, <laughs> dumpsters and things like that. We, we, we didn't want our, uh, our first time guests to come and see that as well as take up parking spaces with crazy construction. And, you know, do you feel that breeze coming in the building? <laughs> you know, so, uh, so, so we'll make sure to get all that stuff uh, rolling the day after that. So please be praying about that. Another area that we're really excited about revamping in addition to this is our youth and our children's ministries. You're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come, but I just kind of want to give you a little teaser. When we make the changes and the investment that we're about to make in our youth and our kids' ministries, your teenagers and your kids are going to be more excited, I believe, about God and about connecting to His church more than ever in the history of Word of Grace. We are so excited. Our team is working together on this. This is kind of an all hands on deck thing where we're all working together as a team to relaunch some things. Some of the things in the kids, we're working on actually relaunching before Easter. So, I mean, big stuff. And then some big stuff we're working on relaunching with our youth ministry is going to all roll out May the 9th. So, we're really pumped about that. So, before Easter with the kids, May 9th with the youth, we got some really big stuff coming as those develop, and as we're able to talk more about that, we'll let you know what we're going to do. But I can tell you this, kids and youth are really important to us at Word of Grace, and I believe you're about to see and feel that more than ever before. So I'm really excited about those things. So if you have been thinking about maybe getting involved with youth or kids, let me tell you, this is ground floor time right now for you to get involved. It would be like the best time to raise your hand and say yes to greater things and get plugged into one of those ministries because you'd be on the ground floor of some of these great things we're going to roll out. And we are so pumped about that. It's going to be awesome, you guys. So why don't we do this? Before we go any further and get into the message, why don't we all just pause and take a moment? Let's take all these things to the Lord in prayer, both our kids and our our youth ministry, all of our great Easter services, our Good Friday service that we're going to be rolling out, and then also our building project. So Lord, we thank you for all these great things. It is exciting and awesome to be a part of a healthy, vibrant community of believers. We're so thankful for all the opportunities and the wisdom and the stewardship and the leading and guiding and direction that you've given us, both throughout the ministries and the, and the business decisions that need to be made. So we just pray you would continue to lead us and guide us. Help us to be united even more as a church. Strengthen us, Lord, by your word and by your spirit. And may all these things be done to glorify you, to win people to Jesus, to help people see the value in Christ-centered community, and most importantly of all, to see value and worth in the cross of Christ, in what you've done for us, Jesus, that they might be saved and their eternities might be impacted forever, and that disciples may be made. We thank you for that. We give you all of these things, as wonderful as they are. We don't want to try to accomplish them in our own strength. Holy Spirit, we need you we deepen and lean into you and we deepen our dependence on you throughout these processes help us to continue to grow and be the church you want us to be for your glory lord we thank you for it and we thank you for this message and we pray that you would be glorified give give grace to all the hearers and give me grace and your spirit to speak it with clarity and authority inspired by your spirit we thank you for the change we thank you for the growth we thank you for the impact We thank you for the investment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are in week three of our series going through the book of 1 Corinthians called The Gospel Fix. So we are going through 1 Corinthians. So if you haven't figured it out already, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapters 8, 9, and 10 today. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 And here we're going to talk about something that the gospel fixes that I think that a lot of us have probably the bulk of questions that I get as a pastor. This is really where the bulk of the questions come from is from the gray areas. The things that maybe the Bible doesn't deal with just head on because there's a lot of things even in our culture that we don't really know how to navigate. How do we navigate this situation or that situation because the Bible doesn't necessarily speak directly to it? Well, this is not a new problem. The Apostle Paul had the same exact issue going on with the Corinthians because there were some gray areas that they were dealing with, and I believe that those gray areas that he helped to give them guiding principles can be the same guiding principles that help us to see clearly how to still honor God with our lives and how to navigate those things that may not be, quite frankly, black and white. And our responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to love people and to be considerate of other people. Amen? Everyone has a story. You have a story. I have a story. And quite frankly, we don't really know that story. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know necessarily what you may have came here with today. I don't know if you're watching online what you may be sitting in your home or at your office or in our jail. I don't know your, your, your story, what you're, what you're dealing with, what you may be going through. The easy route is to approach everything just really black and white and just go boom, boom, this or that. But if we're not careful will create ditches with certain things where we actually are pushing other people away. We may be exciting the wrong people with our message, and we may be pushing away the very people that we're trying to reach. So the gospel helps us to navigate relationships with love, with consideration. Some things in Scripture are black and white. I get that. And those things should be black and white. But even in the black and white areas we should not be without love towards one another oh don't shout me down when i'm preaching good today you see remember we are people first that's one of our core values we're people first because we want to communicate that God values you, that God loves you. And if our messaging, if our, if our tone, if our approach is not communicating that, then we're not doing what Christ wanted us to do in a way that's going to point people to Jesus. We just get to gather around the idea that we feel right, or we feel like we're the ones who have the upper hand, maybe because of what we have or we haven't done. Maybe because of the things we have participated in or haven't participated in. We use that sometimes as something to elevate ourselves. And this is the same stuff that was going on in the church of Corinth. But Paul tries to anchor people over and over again with love and consideration towards others. Because the ministry that you and I are called to is twofold. We are called to minister to one another in the context of the church. But we're also called to minister and be considerate of those who are outside of the church as well. And that means with our approach. That means with our tone. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong, right? But the point is, is that we need to come back and evaluate, am I getting this right or am I getting this wrong? Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. And sometimes you're going to get it right and you're going to get it wrong. We need to give each other grace through those times, but we also need to grow from those times as well, Amen. But Because we want people to know God loves you. And how can we say God loves you if we're not treating them in a way where they feel that, where they see that? So, yes, we're going to speak the truth in the black and white areas of Scripture, but only when we have allowed ourselves to love the person and see the person first. Because if we lead off with just our agenda, we're going to push the person away. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, he saw the person first, not the sin not the issue, even though the issue may have been black and white. He still reached the person, amen? That's how you and I are called to navigate these things as well. But what about the gray areas? How do we navigate those? Do we get to do what we think is just right or best? Is that kind of like a roll of the dice? You choose, you do what you want to do. Maybe the things the Bible doesn't directly talk about. The church in Corinth had the same exact issues. So let's look at these first few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Man, we could just camp out there. So stinking good. You see, the love of God poured out to us through receiving the message of the gospel changes the source of our confidence. We all have kind of a foundation, a source that we will we'll kind of run to, that we put confidence in when it comes to learning what is what is truth. What what how what are the principles? What are the guardrails that we're going to navigate our life and our life's decision? We all have that source, but the love of God it it it, it changes where we put our confidence. So now it's no longer what I think is right or wrong. It's no longer what I want. It's no longer what is socially acceptable. It's no longer about rallying my base and get everyone around me to agree with me. That's not where my confidence comes from. My confidence should come from receiving the gospel, the love of God that's been poured out for you and for me. It changes, it redirects, it reorients my source that I live from, that I pull from. And I have to start there. That's why the gospel changes everything, because it changes the foundation. And we begin to grow and learn how to navigate this and and learn how to live this thing out. Here Paul said that if anyone loves God, they are known by God. How cool is that? If you love God, guess what? God knows you. Man, there's people in in this room that don't know you. There's people in in, in the store that don't know you. But God, the creator of all things, knows you if you love him? Oh my goodness. Now, he takes it a step further because he just doesn't know you. He cares about you. Not only does He care about you, but He cares about you so intimately that He knows the number of hairs on your head. Isn't that fascinating that He cares about you? Why owe you that much? He loves you that much. Wow, that's the God we serve. That should change the way I think. It should change where I place my source of confidence because now my source of confidence doesn't rest in whether people like me or not. Now my source of confidence doesn't rest in whether or not I'm accepted or I have to bend and and, and conform and bob and weave in order to get accepted by this group or that group. That's not where my confidence comes from because I'm in the right club with the right people. Now my source of confidence comes from the fact that I am known by God. I am known by God. And when I understand that, it's not about what I've done. I didn't earn that type of attention from God. It's only because of the cross of Jesus Christ that I can be called a son or a daughter of God. Not, now it's not what I know because what did Paul say? Knowledge puffs up, but what does love do? It builds up. Love builds up. It's not what I've experienced, but rather my confidence rests in Christ alone and His love navigates. The decisions in my life. We have to start there. We have to start there. Verse four, let's read through verse 13. So he's gonna deal with something real specific here. This is the gray area Paul's dealing with, with the church. Verse four, therefore, or in light of what we just read about the love of God, remember that's the source. In light of that, verse four, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And that there's no God but one, right? Paul's saying, listen, when it comes to eating food, sacrifice to idols, I get it. The idols aren't real. They're, they're, it's just a bunch of junk, right? It's, it's, not, it's not legit. We know that these people worshiping idols, sacrificing to these idols, they have no real power. They're not real. I understand that. You understand that. Verse 5, for although they, there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, As indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things are, for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. Not everybody knows this. You know this. I know this. But not everybody knows this. He said, said, not all possess this knowledge, but some... Through former association with idols, they eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscious being weak is defiled. They believe this. They believe it's real. Verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and we're no better off if we do. Paul's acknowledging this doesn't matter with the food, okay? Verse 9, but take care that this right of yours... Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You see, why would he say something so intense? He's saying, listen, it's more important to me because love is the foundation, because I'm known by God, because love is the source of my confidence. And now it's navigating and helping me to make decisions concerning things that may make someone else stumble. I know it's gray, I know you really like the meat. I know it was on sale. <laughs> I get it. But he's saying, love, preference for your brother, consideration should be the navigating piece here and whether or not you do this. You see, the Corinthians were eating meat from an animal sacrificed to a false pagan god, and the meat that Paul is referring was actually the leftover portion because in the pagan rituals they would not sacrifice the whole animal um, as in Judaism where they burn the whole thing up. They would just do a portion of it and then they would take the portion left over and they would sell it in the market, right? Or they would have a a big barbecue in the temple and you could come eat in the temple um, after you've worshipped the deity. Or you could just come and eat in the temple and just pay a price almost like the temple restaurant. And you could come and be a part of this and, you know, uh, the Christians were thinking, that's not a real God, and they make some good barbecue. <laughs> those, those pagans over at the Zeus Cafe, I mean, it's like, it's the best. I mean, I mean it's, it's great. Have you had the Zeus chops? I mean, they're awesome. And they thought it's not a big deal to go into the temple where people would do pagan worship and eat this food because it's not a real God to me doesn't really matter. I'm not worshiping that God. I'm just eating the food. And Paul says, yep, I get it. (laughs) Like, I agree with all of that, okay? And I know you're free to do that because you're free in Christ. Because guess what? You are free in Christ to do anything, but in your freedom, you choose out of love as the source of your confidence to limit your freedom. Why? Because you love your brother more than you love exercising your freedom in that situation. Because it makes more sense for you to actually prefer them and go, you know what? I really like that barbecue. But if that's going to make my brother think that it's cool to go in there, that maybe you could serve the God that I serve and serve those gods, then I'm just going to stay away from that. Because I don't want to cause the weaker brother who doesn't have the knowledge I have because i know knowledge puffs up if i just stay in knowledge i'm puffed up but if i if if i stay in love if i start with love that's going to change the source of my confidence and it's going to change the way i navigate this situation even though i really want to eat that even though we've always bought meat from that vendor but now i'm but now i'm a christ follower so i need to think differently and paul was saying you're right even though it's great the love of god poured out in your heart should redirect your focus off of you <laughs> and on to your brother, or someone you're trying to reach for Christ, and how they may perceive you, because they don't know whether you're worshiping that idol or not. They don't know. I think that one of the best examples that's most relevant in our day and age is uh, one of our um, uh, state <laughs> mottos, um, unfortunately, here in Wisconsin, which we want to drink Wisconsinably, uh, <laughs> and, and I think alcohol is a great example of this, because I have friends who struggle with alcoholism. And I know they struggle with alcoholism. And I have to be careful how I would navigate relationship with those friends just by certain places that I would go. I remember going and watching a basketball game with a friend one time. And I knew this person struggled. Matter of fact, I knew they struggled to the point to where I was the person that they would call at 2 a.m. to come and get them when they were just so hammered they couldn't drive home. And here I am watching a basketball game with this person, and I know that I need to make sure that I'm setting an example for them. need to make sure. Now, as you look at freedoms, as you look at those things, the only thing that really makes anything God has created bad is our abuse of it and our misuse of it. You know that? That's really all. Because everything God created, what did He call? He called it Good. What makes things bad then? Because think about it. I mean, there are so many things that have been created that man takes, perverts, misuses. Think about sex. We talked about sexual immorality last week. God created sex to be a good thing. Amen? Amen. All right. (laughs) But, But look at how man has taken something God created when it's used the right way in the way God wanted it to be used. Look at how wonderful it is but look at how it has hurt our world and entrapped and enslaved people and wounded many, many people. Amen? It has. It's it's ensnared and, and trapped and enslaved and caused a lot of shame and a lot of pain for a lot of people. But that wasn't God's intention for it. That wasn't what God intended for it to be, which is why the Bible rails against drunkenness, and it talks about it because it knows the pain that it causes. It knows the, the, the issues that it causes. And here, I believe that's a perfect example for us to understand. Listen, we need to be wise and navigate those things. Some people want to get in the ditch. They want to get in the ditch. They want to go, oh, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Or they want to get in the ditch and go, no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to stay over here in the ditch and I'm going to be on this side. And, and, and both sides. Are, are coming out of, out of this point of, of just doing what they think is right and, and, and trying to tell everyone else they're wrong. And, 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 and I think that, I, I think, yeah, we've got to navigate those situations with a greater degree of wisdom, with a greater degree of thoughtfulness and sincerity and care about how others may perceive us. Just like there's certain television shows that you let your kids watch um, that, man, when they were little, you would be like, oh, we got to wait till later in the evening because we don't want to expose our kids to that. Why? Why would you tell your kids it's not okay for you to watch that show, but you watch it later on that evening? Why? Because you're mature. And you understand things they don't understand. I mean, even as powerful as, uh, as, as some of the Christian movies are, there are certain ones when my kids were little, I'm like, that's a little too intense. You know, so it's not just because it's Christian boom, uh, stamped safe. <laughs> you know, there's still things in there that I go, hey, we need to be wise. How do I navigate those situations? What, what guides you to make those types of decisions on what you're going to let your kids watch and not watch? What, what navigates that for you? Because there's no index in your Bible that says these are the approved shows for Christians. I mean, that would be weird. <laughs> and I bet every, and if I asked you what is your approved list, I bet your list would be different than mine. Now, whose, whose list is right? The pastor's or yours? Now, wait, hang on a second. Well, that's me trying to dictate and play Holy Spirit for you. I can't do that. People ask me, "Is this okay? Is that okay?" This is gray, man. It's difficult. So how do you navigate, whether it's something that you need to participate in or not, or something you want to allow your kids to participate in? Is it helpful? Is it something that they can handle? It it was. We had to wait till our kids got older before we would let them watch some of the superhero movies. I mean, there were things in there they just wouldn't understand. But now we let them watch a lot of those movies because they they get it. Like they're not—it's not going to influence them in a way where they're going to go out and try to, you know, maybe use some of the language. There's a few words in there that I don't really want my children walking around the house saying. But yet, when they were younger, I would have said, "No, you're not. That's that's not okay for you." What what led me to make those decisions? My love for them. That's what, right? That's what led me to limit. And to help make those decisions was my love for my children. Because following Jesus places a greater responsibility on us as ambassadors of Christ. We've got to get this in our hearts. As an ambassador of Christ, I have a greater responsibility. Because I'm now not living just for myself. Yes, I'm free in Christ. I get that, Paul said. I understand that. Yes, you're free in Christ. But at the same time, just because it's legal doesn't mean that it's always wise. Just because the speed limit says 70 miles an hour, if there's ice on the road, doesn't mean it's wise, right? I mean, there's some people that really needed that little tidbit of information (laughs) over the course of this winter. But following Jesus places a greater responsibility on us because we recognize I'm not living for myself. I'm living for something much bigger than myself. I'm living as an ambassador of Christ. And just because it's legal and just because it isn't sinful doesn't mean that it's wise. This is our responsibility to carry. And you know why? Because eternity matters more than our comfort. Eternity matters more than our preference. Why? Because the foundation that we're driven by is what? Love. That's how the gospel reorients our heart and changes us. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story, and we should be respectful, and we should be aware of that. This should cause us to live with an awareness that with what we do, how we say it, that we are representing Christ. Let's read on a little bit more, because Paul digs into this a little deeper about his rights as a follower of Christ. And he also talks about his rights as an apostle. So check this out. Chapter 9, let's read read through chapter 9. Verse 1, Paul says this, the very next thing, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? In other words, am I not in a position of authority to be telling you guys what to do? What's okay? What's not okay? I mean, I could do that because of my authority. You guys are my workmanship. You, I mean, I've seen Jesus with my own eyes. I'm an apostle. But he says, verse 2 If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, so maybe I can't tell everybody what to do, but he's saying, I can at least tell you guys what to do, for you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. But, he says, this is my desire to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, or Peter, Jesus' disciple? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? He's asking these rhetorical questions here. Verse 8, do I say these things on human authority? Does it, does not the law say the same For it is written, even in the law of Moses, he's he's even bringing that up. He says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It's written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not, do not we even more? Never let, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. He said we have a right, but we haven't used it. Hang on a second. Paul's saying, I've been laboring among you. I, I, I could have taken you know, uh, my, my share of what's going on so you could take care of my needs. But he's saying Barnabas and I instead, we make tents for a living. We don't have to make tents. We choose to make tents. We don't have to do that because, I mean, it's not wrong if we did receive material things from you and you guys took care of us. We're apostles. He said that's not wrong. He said uh, even the law of Moses understood that. He said Peter does it and it's not a big deal. No one's complaining because Peter is being basically paid to be in full-time ministry. He said, you know, he he doesn't have another secular career. He's saying, that's not bad. Peter does it. But are, are, are Barnabas and I different? Because we go out and make tents instead of taking things from you? Because we could lay claim to it. We could make it our right. And we would be well within the guidelines of the letter of the law. But he says this. He says at the second half of verse 12, nevertheless, we've not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather we would rather endure anything than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ wow (laughs) do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel but I have made no use of any of these rights nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. They're like, oh boy, Paul's about to ask us for stuff. Nope. He said, that's not why I'm writing. It's not my, not my purpose. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. "'For if I do this on my own will, I have a reward. "'But if not of my own will, I'm entrusted with a stewardship. "'What then is my reward? "'That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge "'so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. "'For though I am free from all, "'I have made myself a servant to all, "'that I might win more of them. "'To the Jews I become a Jew in order to win Jews.' To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, (laughs) but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive perishable wealth, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating in the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Wow. This is like mind-blowing stuff. When we first moved to Wisconsin over eight years ago, one of the strangest things that we had to learn really quickly was when you go to someone's house, you take off your shoes. I grew up in the South. You didn't do that. You didn't go to someone's house and just pull a Mr. Rogers. That's not That was not the custom in the South, and I didn't understand why. People would walk in my house when I first moved here and take their shoes off. And I thought at first it was just those first few weird people. Maybe, maybe that's just what you do. And then I noticed everywhere everyone went, they took off their shoes. So we had to start training our children. And my wife and I had to start learning. We did, now we do it like it's just, you know, it, it's just second nature to us. It's normal. We walk in someone's house. You even do it during the summer because you, you, you are in such a habit of doing it during the winter. You just do it automatically. My in-laws think that is the weirdest thing when we come to their house and we take off our shoes. They look at us and they say, you can leave your shoes on. Like, you know, I, it, it's okay. You, you know, you don't have to do that. And my kids do it first thing when you walk in the house, take off the shoes, you know. And, and they think it's so strange. What? That's something that if someone were to walk in your home after just trouncing through the winter slush and getting mud and salt and snow all over their boots, if they were to walk in your house and they were to just go right in, walk all over your carpet, put their feet up on the ottoman, you would be like, what are you doing You would think, don't you know you're supposed to take off your shoes? If you went into someone's house in the south and you left your shoes on and you walked in their home and you put your feet up on the ottoman after you sat down, they would think nothing of it. (laughs) I know, I'm just blowing people's minds today. (gasps) Those filthy southerners. (laughs) And you're judging them. Stop it. But here's here's the point, is that you are going to be respectful, and you know this because you know that this is something that if you didn't do that in people's homes, especially where you're in a a snowy climate, you know that's culturally unacceptable. Is it sinful to not take off your shoes? Some of you, you'll be like, "Mm, absolutely, that's a sin. I just vacuumed the other day, and we got new carpet. Some of you would say it's a sin, but according to the Bible, is it a sin? No, it's not. But if that person came over trying to share the gospel with you, all you could think about is some shoes. That's all you could think about. They would be trying to share with you the hope of eternity, and you can't get past salt and mud. So Paul says, when I'm in those situations, I'm going to do those things. I'm going to become a Jew to the Jews, that I might win some. When I'm in certain circles, you know, there's certain things that I understand. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be in different environments. I've got an opportunity to be a part of some crazy different environments. And I had to conduct myself differently in those environments when I was there. I mean, it's when, when you go in the, the environment of conducting a funeral, yeah, I mean, if I'm going to be conducting a funeral, I need to make sure I dress a certain way. Need to make sure. I mean, I remember I was going to do a wedding one time. My wife's like, "You got to do something with that beard. Like, you can't do that wedding this weekend with that beard." So I had to clean up my beard, you know. And I was like, "But I want it to be like." Wah. But when I'm around, <laughs> but when I'm around all my biker friends, they're like, "Dude, why'd you trim your beard? What's wrong with you?" And I'm like, "Man, I had this wedding. Why? Because I, I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to cause unnecessary offense. Why?" because I, I'm, I'm free to do it. It's not sinful. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not sinful, but because I prefer the other person, because I love the other person, I'm going to limit my freedom because I have a great responsibility as an ambassador of Christ. Yeah, I, I, I can do those things. I get it. It's not sinful. And, and sometimes we get all puffed up with pride And we think, well, if they just can't accept me for who I am, then, you know, whatever. I don't want to be around those people. I'm not going to do the wedding or I'm not going to hang out with those people. How selfish is that? That's not love as the foundation. That's not love as the starting point. That's putting you at the starting point and you making it all about you. Think about I'm a representative of Christ. This is bigger than me, so much bigger than me. Our responsibility as Christ followers, is to think and consider how we're being received, especially by those who are younger in the Lord and especially those who need Jesus. We're considerate of where we are. We temper our conversations. We temper with the way we deal with people. And I think that it's kind of the same way where, where, you know, Jesus still spoke truth, but he, he he spoke truth in different ways to different people depending on where they were. Just like I'll give you the example of what if, uh, you know, you're sitting at the table and you have a two-year-old and you have a 12-year-old and you set before them each a glass of milk. The two-year-old knocks the glass over. How do you respond? Oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that. Don't do that. We don't spill the glasses, but you go over there, you clean it up. And then the 12-year-old looks and knocks their glass over. Are you going to go clean it up for them? Are you going to, oh, you know, it's okay. Accidents happen. No, you're going to go, what are you doing? But you know better than this. I've seen you successfully drink milk before. Why? Why would you do that? This doesn't even make sense. Clean that up. You're speaking truth to both of them, but are you, you're dealing with them differently, aren't you? Same situation, same exact situation, but you're handling them very different. Why are you handling them differently? because they're at different levels of maturity, aren't they? You're being considerate. You don't expect the two-year-old to act like the 12-year-old, and you definitely don't expect the 12-year-old to act like the (laughs) two-year-old. It's the same thing when Jesus was dealing with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. She's brought out to be stoned by the religious leaders. Jesus says, let him who among you has no sin cast the first stone. He handled them pretty rough. He confronted them pretty harshly. He made them look at themselves. He made them think about their own sin, and they had to contemplate that, and it was pretty harsh right there in that moment. But then he reaches down to the woman, and he says, where are your accusers? And she looks around. She says, none, Lord. I don't see them. And he says, well, I don't condemn you either. But now here's the truth. Go and sin no more. See Jesus dealt with sin of both crowds. He dealt with the sin of the, the religious leaders, and he dealt with the sin of the woman caught in the act of adultery, but the way he navigated both of those was very different. One was puffed up with pride, one was filled with shame. One had been educated in the law, and, and one had carried that as a tool of power to exact over people who they felt were inferior to them because they didn't measure up to their standard of righteousness, and Jesus called them out on it by making them examine and repent, basically, of their own pride by releasing the stones they held in their hands. That's hardcore. But he didn't treat the woman the same way, did he? Both were sinning, but the way he handled it was very different. But he still yet spoke truth to both, and he loved both. You see the beauty of Christ? Why? Because he started from a place of love. And as ambassadors of Christ, you and I are called to do the same thing. Let's read the rest of this. Chapter 10. Here we go. Take a deep breath. You ready? Woohoo! All right, here we go. Chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock. Notice that's capitalized because they're talking about Christ. That followed them, and the rock was Christ. He's talking about Moses and the children of Israel during the time of the Exodus. He's saying, "Listen, this is our history. This is our lineage, and Christ was even with them during that time." Verse five. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed. Lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? What am I saying? What's the point of all this? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor." For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I gave thanks? So whether you eat or drink, here's the key. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So here... Paul is helping us to see that the gospel fixes gray areas by orienting our hearts to desire that God would be glorified above everything else. This text right here should really make us evaluate and think about what we participate in, what we allow ourselves to do. The things, listen, we all have been given a bigger voice than ever before in history because of the platform of social media. How are you navigating social media? Are you using it for the glory of God? Or are you using it to let everybody know your opinion about pretty much everything? Listen, I'm serious. Not because your opinion doesn't matter. Listen, your opinion does matter. And I know everyone else is doing it, but you have a responsibility as a follower of Christ. Is that joke appropriate to put out there for the world to see? Is that appropriate to say as a representative of Christ? Um, Maybe not everybody knows you. Maybe not everyone understands you. See, you're representing Christ. This is bigger than you. Uh, Maybe your friends who understand you would understand that level of sarcasm. But at the same time, maybe not everybody else would see you quite that way. And so they see you differently after that. And you have a a, a big responsibility to carry. Maybe the internet isn't the place to just go out and just let everyone know everything that you think is wrong with the world. Because maybe there's people that you need to reach for the cause of Christ that are participating in some of those things that maybe you actually befriending them and having a conversation with them would be a whole heck of a lot more impactful. Maybe you loving them right where they're at like Jesus loved people instead of us just going around and just arguing with people and wanting everyone to see how right we are. I'm not going to tell you what to post and what not to post because I'm sure I'm not the perfect poster. (laughs) But what I will say is think about the things that you are putting out there. Think about the way you respond. Think about, there's a person behind that. Man, think about that. I did something two weeks ago I'll never do again. (laughs) I joined a Facebook group of Christians, pastors, and I asked a question, <laughs> I kid you not, within five minutes of me asking a harmless question about where do you send your kids to youth camp, I got eaten alive with 177 comments, I left the group and I said, these people don't love Jesus Well, why is your youth pastor not on here asking that? What are you, undermining them? You're going behind them? I wouldn't work for you. Why on earth would you do this? You're just a terrible person. You're a poor leader, sir. You are the definition of a poor leader. You're what's wrong with the church in America today. All I said was, where do you send your kids to youth camp? <laughs> and then I'll tell you what that made me think about, because I had to stay up two hours after that, because I wanted to jump through that phone, and I wanted to jack some people up. <laughs> I wanted to argue, and I argued with a few of them. That was a real big mistake. <laughs> I just lit the fire from there. Oh, my goodness, wow. And then you know where my heart went after that? And I'll be honest, my heart actually went this direction. I'm not just trying to say that so you'll say, oh. My heart went to the 12-year-old girl who's on social media who just got body shamed. I'm a 38-year-old man who just got his feelings hurt by pastors. I couldn't imagine being a sensitive hormonal teenager getting body shamed on, on Facebook and how that would make me feel. I, I, I couldn't imagine it. I could, the the, the, the cyberbullying, ridiculous. Man, I got I to be careful out there. That's dangerous. I, I, parents, you got to educate your kids on this stuff. That's a big deal. I couldn't imagine being someone just trying to figure out like all, all, all these new changes in my life and and my hormones being all out of whack and me caring about what everybody thinks and 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 and, and I'm I'm growing into my, my my head and my body and and it's just not all you know and, and people making fun of me people picking on me people blasting me when I, I may have posted something I was proud of or oh church that hurts my heart to even think about that young man or that young girl who who was doing something innocent like like I was doing. I was doing something what I thought was innocent. And I didn't get eaten alive by the world. Mm -mm. No, it wasn't the sinners and all of those that don't know Christ that that ate me alive, that hurt my feelings. No, it was church people. And And I was hurt for the church. 177 comments in less than five minutes about a stupid question. Some answered the question legitimately. I appreciated those. But man, what a terrible experience. I couldn't imagine what some of you are putting yourself out there for and go, "Don't, don't get caught up in that. We are representing Christ, amen? Don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. How can you be a part of the solution? Let love guide you in the way you interact with people. Let love guide you In the way that you joke around with other people, let love guide you in the way you present yourself to other people. And when you get it wrong, because you will get it wrong, repent, acknowledge your shortcoming, acknowledge you got it wrong, and let love be your guide. Let that foundation of the gospel navigate you through the gray areas. Don't worry about what you can and can't do. Don't worry about all exercising all your freedoms. It's not about you. It's about him. You're representing Jesus Christ. We should feel the weight of that, amen. This text should make us be more considerate, that others may not be as mature in their faith, and some topics of, uh, of, that, we, that we talk about may cause confusion, or worse, or worse. it may give other people permission. Because they go, oh wow, that's a Christian person I respect and they just gave me the green light. We must grow in honesty with ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to help us be aware of representatives of Christ, how we may be being perceived. Some would think this would be a position of weakness. Some of you are like, oh, this is a really weak message. No, actually restraint is a sign of maturity. And it's a sign of strength and maturity and a care and a concern for the lost. Not concerned for me exercising my freedoms and me getting to do what I want to do, but no, me actually being more concerned about heaven and hell. Me being more concerned about eternal things and me being more concerned about God being glorified. So here's my hope. This is my hope from this message today, that we would have cause to evaluate our relationships, that we would grow in maturity, and that we would not cause unnecessary controversy or be arrogant in our approach and our conduct, but that we would glorify God in all we do. So Lord, help us do this, because man, huh, you're the only thing in us that's good. And so we need your goodness to shine even through all of our weakness and our struggles, even our selfishness and our darkness that we may struggle with, Lord, so help us to do this. Uh, we need you, you are good and we can't do this in our own strength. So Holy Spirit, you said if we need help, just ask. So here we are. We are asking, whether we're asking in the Sheboygan County Jail on a Monday night, or whether we're asking here in this, in this sanctuary here in this moment, or whether we're online and we're pausing um, everything around us to ask. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. Help us to be rooted and grounded and founded in love.